morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Doug Sheen, and I'm uh, head of research at Fernlis. And uh, over the next 20 minutes, I'm going to take you through what is a really big topic, the new energy landscape. And uh, it was a very interesting panel uh, that we just had. Uh, and uh, when we talk about new energy landscape, we should, of course, be talking about wind, solar, uh, hydro, etc. Problem is that this is a shipping summit, and uh, it's not very shipping intensive uh, to carry solar, wind, and hydro. Uh, so, <clears throat> even though it's been having an amazing development, uh, going from 18% of the electri electricity we generated in 2007 up to 28% last year, that amazing ride, we need to have in perspective what kind of ride it has been. Because if you look at the chart on the right here, coming up here now, should be working. Uh, electricity is the blue line here. So what we are talking about when we talk about wind, solar, hydro, we are talking about 28% of this blue line here. What we also have, uh, sort of forget to have focus on is the ice blue line here, which is the total energy consumption. And the dotted green line that you see here is the electricity's, uh, electricity's share of the total energy uh, consumed. And that has gone over three and a half decades. It's gone from 11% up to some uh, 17%. So both uh, renewables, hydro, and electricity that it comes from or generates is climbing in market share, but it's still a very tiny portion of the total energy that we consume and produce. Well, you guys, interested in shipping should be focusing on, and what we should all focus a little bit uh, longer on, is the area between here, plus the 72% of the blue line, which is still not covered by renewables. This is what we are not talking enough about. It was mentioned on the uh, discussion here that uh, we still now see new coal routes, etc. Uh, we thought 10 years, that, uh, 10 years ago that uh, coal would be dead, but it's definitely not, and so on. Another way of displaying the same data is uh, the chart you see here. Fossil fuels over the last two decades, where I've been covering this as an analyst, has gone from covering 87 to some 82, 83% of the energy that we are consuming. That's over two decades. You can also see that uh, since the year 2000, it's been accelerating on the renewables and the hydropower. That's due to wind, solar coming in. Uh, the market share that was prior to 2000 was predominantly due to hydropower. Uh, now, what we see here is an energy transition where fossil fuels are sort of moving down in the mix. Renewables and hydropower, the green alternatives, are coming up. But if we continue on the pace that we are currently, it's going to take the, the rest of this century before they even meet halfway. And a problem that we have today is that we are talking about uh, energy transition, but we are acting as it was a switch. That's the main problem. When the fossil fuels have been declining now, some 4 or 5% in market share, uh, that doesn't mean that the consumption of fossil fuels during these two decades have been going down. Take one example with oil, it's just good work. Uh, oil has been losing 8% market share during these uh, 20 uh, past years, but at the same time, the consumption of oil has gone up by 26% measured in actual barrels. If you look at the energy consumption overall, it's been losing some 4 5% on the market share, but the consumption of fossil fuels have been going up 44% in this period. So, it's especially natural gas that is uh, creating this high number, higher than the oil number. Now, 
If you look at the investments in 2022, there's nothing that changes the pattern of this transition because the increase you see in green energy on the 22 bar here uh, is predominantly uh, eaten up by cost inflation. So what we need to see to, for this transition to speed up is a um, multiple time uh, increase in, in green energy sources. At the pace we are right now, we're just going to tackle along like we've done over the last two decades. Until uh, that is done, until we see uh, a multitude of uh, increases in, in green investments, we are going to stay around if we act like we do on fossil fuels. We are in an energy crisis, which did not start with Russia-Ukraine. Uh, Russia-Ukraine was just uh, like putting gas on a fire that was already alive. And I've been basically saying that without this energy crisis, that it was already a fact before Russia invaded Ukraine, we might not have seen Russia uh, invade Ukraine. I would believe Putin had a good uh, card on his sleeve, uh, seeing that we were at the very start of energy crisis. Personally, I started to write about the looming energy crisis in the 20, early 2020s in my tanker reports in 2017. And it was no rocket science behind that. It was just that we were phasing out investments in fossils way too fast compared to the previous chart I showed you. And also we had an annual Astrofarni conference four weeks before we even knew about Russian troops near the border of Ukraine, where we were stating that we are now in an energy crisis. After that, we've had the head of the International Energy Agency, uh, Mr. Birol, uh, chipping in, saying that we have now an energy crisis, which is worse than the 70s oil shocks, and that this will last longer. The International Energy Agency was established after the oil shocks in the 90, early 1970s, and it was basically established to look after that we made sure we had energy security and prevented this from happening again. The problem for that energy agency is that they have been so much focusing on net zero 2050 now that they forgot to have a realism on the pace of the transition. And here we are with the energy crisis. Now, it's been very simple for policymakers to target the supply side of fossil fuel industry, but also nuclear. Uh, it's quite easy to define who supplies us uh, these uh, energy sources. But we have along the way, we've been mischarging the scale that fossil fuels and nuclear had combined. We've been misjudging uh, uh, the lead time. We have been misjudging a factor called depletion on oil production. Uh, and if I were to take sort of a, a conservative estimate, we need to, over the next 10 years, just to keep oil production flat in the world, we need to explore and start drilling for 50, uh, nearly 50% of the oil we are producing today to replace it due to depletion of the existing. The problem with the demand side is, however, it's less uh, definable, it's uh, more fragmented and uh, perhaps problematic for policymakers is also that it contains waters. It contains very unpopular decisions uh, to sort of enforce on the voters, like taxes and so on. So, and on top of that, it's been mis misjudged by how strong energy demand is how long it takes to change infrastructure. You're not scrapping a coal plant that was built 5, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, it takes time before that sort of goes to natural phase out. And what we basically have uh, then is a shift on the supply and demand curve, which has led to higher prices. We are, this didn't work very well, but we are, however, uh, seeing some concessions. Uh, at the very beginning of this year, once again, before Russia, Ukraine, we had the European Union actually admitting for once that natural gas, which is a fossil, 
and nuclear has a, a quite important role, uh, being a key transition fuel. Later, we've seen now a revival of the discussion of nuclear here in, here in the UK. We have even seen the uh, ban on fracking being lifted in the UK. So there are some concessions uh, changing on the back of more and more angry consumers because they are now having to pay a high price. And that high price on a global level, in 2020, we've spent about 4% of GDP covering energy costs. This year, we are so far on pace to about 11%. And we're then in entering into the territory where the EU uh, Commission defined energy poverty. That's when you, have, uh, that's when you spend 10% of your income to keep warm and sort of uh, have your daily life running as usual. In addition, it's been changing the geopolitical uh, scene. We all know about the relationship between Russia and Europe, how that has been changing. We are also seeing that Russia has been friends with Iran, but we have also lately seen, uh, after the most recent OPEC plus cut, that the US is now all of a sudden questioning its relationship with Saudi, which uh, uh, Russia is about to take advantage of, possibly. Uh, Iran coming back to the market after sanctions seems very unlikely at this point, both because of what's happening in Iran, but also because of the support they've been giving uh, Russia in the war in Ukraine. We are all of a sudden seeing that uh, Venezuela is back on the table of a possible, possible friends for the US, because after they sanctioned oil uh, from Russia, they now all of a sudden need Venezuela back. When they sanctioned Venezuela back in the days, they started to buy Russian oil. They need one of them as a feedstock for US gold for refineries. There's, so there's a lot changing on who's uh, talking to who, who are friends on the geopolitical side. Some of the effects we've seen on, on the freight market is on the LNG side, as you all know, it's been a really booming market there. Uh, and we're talking ton time, not ton miles these days. Uh, and uh, what has been saving Europe so far is basically that uh, North Sea uh, natural gas has been saving uh, Europe, but not least LNG has been uh, sort of saving us and bringing a sufficient number of um, cubic gas in. On that note, we have uh, taken more of the Jamal LNG, a smaller share than usual has gone to the Far East during the Northern Sea uh, season, uh, but also not least more has been now shipped from the US instead of to Asia, it's been going to Europe. But this is not sustainable over time because eventually Asia is going to sort of wake up from COVID in China and so on and want to sort of pick a nose on these volumes. And yes, we do sort of have some uh, big LNG volumes coming in three, four years time. But meanwhile, uh, we need to sort of, in, in the years between here, we need to at some point expect that China will compete about the volumes that has saved us so far. We have seen uh, LPG and ammonia disappear from Ukraine, and the ammonia in particular was very, very important. That has uh, put fire on the fertilizer market, even now led us to talk about potential food crisis in the world. And on the oil side, we have seen Europe now take less oil from uh, Russia. The far left chart you see here is uh, Russia-Baltic into Europe volumes. And you can also see that Russia Baltic is now shipping all the way to Asia instead. In particular, India have been eager buying that Russian Baltic oil. So this has been sort of creating a perfect storm on the crude tankers lately. In addition, we've seen a similar reduction in Russian oil products volumes into Europe. And uh, as a consequence, we are now seeing more long haul all the way from the Far East into Europe with uh, diesel in particular. 
creating the hands of a perfect storm on the product tankers. Now, uh, I see a lot of policymakers say that, uh, well, we need now to step up uh, renewables to secure energy. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, yes, we do. And we need to both double, triple, and so on, those investments. But the problem is, it won't shift the energy picture when it comes to geopolitics, because someone has beaten us to it when it comes to securing the critical uh, minerals and metals, and that's China. China is absolutely dominant in, uh, in anything that has to do with the critical minerals and metals that we need for renewables, electrification, and so on. US has started to wake up, especially working together with Australian suppliers, and there were some encouraging uh, statements coming from Canada, stepping up over the weekend. But in Europe, we have been completely ignorant. So geopolitics is not going to change uh, with renewables. It's still going to be uh, an issue in energy. For oil, looking forward, it might be the next place where we need to see policymakers make concession. Because oil is still a transportation fuel. Uh, coal and gas are in direct competition with renewables, but uh, the competition from electric cars and so on uh, into transportation is indirect through electrification of that transport. And on supplying oil, we are now, over the past decade, made ourselves completely dependent on U.S. shale. Aggregated over the last 10 years, we have received 9 million barrels more oil into the market due to the U.S. But if you look at the rest of the world, we are actually seeing that production over 10 years' time is down. Uh, which means that people have not taken the risk of investing in offshore conventional oil at all. We are all depending on short-cycle oil. And looking at the ice blue line here versus the green, the green is the oil price, the ice blue line is the rig count in the US. The last uh, uptick now in oil prices has not created the same dynamics, the same boost uh, in US shale, partly because they can't raise capital, partly because of cost of inflation, and it's in fact just a couple of signs of fatigue on the short cycle oil. So if you don't step up the conventional going forward, we might run into a deficit if oil demand keeps up. And on that electrification as an indirect competition to oil for transportation, you see a barrel of oil here is predominantly going into transportation. We keep forgetting that Petchem is also a, a, a huge user. But what I have sort of on the chart here is that, let's say that going forward towards 2030, we are going to produce an average 90 million new cars in the world. If I look at some of the more optimistic estimates on how far we have come in supplying uh, electric vehicles by 2030, we are talking about 25 to 30 million of uh, cars uh, in 2030 of the 90. If I now sort of aggregate everything here, over the next eight years, we're going to have some 140 to 160 million EVs on the road, which we don't have today. But if we continue to produce 90 million cars per year, as we have the last couple of years, well, then we're going to have 650 million new diesel and gasoline cars. So it might be very uh, too early to sort of expect that oil is going to be squeezed out of the transportation mix, given this. And uh, this scenario is something that S&P Plus says there's not going to be enough lithium. I saw a documentary about the Broken Hill project in Australia, a big cobalt project, where the CEO um, uh, was quite proud to say that the cobalt of this massive project would supply enough cobalt for 5 million electric vehicles, just to put it in perspective. 
And that cobalt, uh, that project will double the cobalt production in Australia. So it's a question of when are we sort of having enough? And we need to keep in mind that also the mining industry has a lead time of exploring and developing. Coal is not dead. Uh, coal has been very out of favor over the last uh, 10 years, losing market share, just like oil has been doing for the last 50 years. Oil's market share was at peak in 1973, nearly supplying 50% of, of the energy we used. Now it's down to a third, or slightly less than a third. Coal has been going through the same, but just like oil has been losing market share, but in that 50-year period, consumption has more than doubled. We see that coal continues to hover around all-time high when it comes to consumption. And strangely enough, people still build uh, new coal-fired power plants. If you look at just what is uh, gone through final investment decision, or are already under construction in China and India, it equals about one quarter of the existing global capacity. And India had recently a statement saying that uh, despite ambitious green goals of the next 10 years, they still expect 40% higher coal consumption 10 years down the road. So even coal might be a bit premature to sort of expect to, to, to disappear completely. Now, lastly, but more importantly, what's the sort of long-term driver of this energy demand? The green line you see here is the consumption of energy per capita over the last uh, five, six decades. The green line here is a reflection of wealth improvements in the world, people stepping out of poverty, coming into middle class, less efficiency gains, like electronic appliances are using less electricity today than they used to, although we have more of it. And also, just over the last two decades, fuel consumption on the new uh, ICE car has gone down by approximately 40%. That's also reflected here. The ice blue line, that's the total energy consumption, and the key driver is what between here, population growth. And looking ahead, looking ahead, it's expected that we are currently 7.9 billion people on planet Earth. By 2050, we are approaching 10. So the key driver for energy consumption going forward is unstoppable, unless we have population growth declining all of a sudden. The other factor, which is uh, wealth improvements, reflected in the green line on the previous slide, you can here see that if you sum up just two continents which are consuming energy well below the world average and chip in a handful of Asian countries with a population of 100 million people plus, well then you account for about 60% of the population which is yet to step out of poverty into the middle class, not into the luxury lifestyle of the West, but into the middle class. So, on energy, we have been saying for a while now that uh, buy everything, because we need every source of energy we can get. Uh, Herman mentioned it, it's heavily underinvested over the past decade. Yes, we need to invest a lot more into uh, the greens, but it's way too early to forget the brown. So, it's an energy transition, not a switch. Uh, we need to sort of have in mind the lead times, the depletion factor, the scales, and not also forget Energy is a basic need. If you mess up energy security, we're going to have even more geopolitical turmoil than we already got. And uh, lastly, energy has always been and will continue to be uh, subject to geopolitical turmoil. And we believe that we started in 2021 on what is a commodity super cycle, and it's going to require a lot of shipping capacity towards the end of this decade as well. So we still need gas, tank, uh, gas tankers, oil tankers, and even coal carriers. Thank you.